What's going on, everybody? I'm Nick. I'm Victor. And this is another all-new episode of Megashing, the podcast, so you can get gay and geek culture from a Black queer perspective. Uh, And happy Pride. That's right. It's the last day. Last day, you know. I hope everybody has been having a good Pride month, a good Pride festivals, parades, orgies, you know, whatever y'all want to get into. Um, I mean, it has been. So, Victor, what you been up to? Well, this has been a very interesting week because, you know, we just had a debate. And so, <laughs> candidates were only well. 20 out of the 24 <laughs> of the candidates. Um, and that was very enlightening um, in so many different ways. I guess we can briefly talk about that a little bit later, but it was just really interesting to watch. So that was fun. Um, and then, you know, it's, you know, we got two weeks before Comic-Con and that is just something that is interesting. And then out of nowhere, so I take my car in and my car's getting fixed and they had the audacity to tell me how much it's gonna cost. It's gonna cost a good chunk of money. <laughs> and I was like, are you kidding me? So I was able to negotiate a, a, a lower price, but it's still high. And I was like, he you has a hackle. <laughs> and he said, well, we can do this and then do this later. But I learned that you should never take a car to a dealership because they're gonna always charge you a lot. But right. You take it to a dealership because, you know, sometimes if your car needs to be there overnight or for my case, almost a week, um, they give you a free rental. So Mm -hmm. it's like, it's always, it's kind of that weird, like, if I went to Firestone, I would have probably had to rent a car. But going here, they give me one. You know what I mean? So it's like uh, a mess. And I was, the guy was like, we can work something out. He says, there's like a... You know, if you have a personal issue, I was like, I do. Comic-Con's coming up. <laughs> <laughs> and a hoe has to pay for two more nights at the at the hotel. Now, I will say this. I'm, you know, I had to, like, give my blessings to the universe because I was, you know, I was like, you know, the fact that I have the money to do both of these things and still not be hit, I'm very fortunate. But it's the fact that I still got to pay a lot of money. And then, then, you know, when you have to pay a lot of money, it hits you. Like, oh, I could have used this to go on a trip, actually. Because you realize, like, oh, I always had it. Right. But, like, oh, I could have done this. I could have done that. And that's what's happening. Because it's, like, this is an unnecessary pay. Well, it's necessary. But you know what I mean. And so you're just, like, I could have went to, hell, I could have went to New York for World Uh Problems. Uh-huh. Not the cost. Uh, So I was just, like, okay, I'm. Well, I said, whatever. And I, it even crossed my mind, like, do I even need a car that week? But you know what? Because <laughs> I'm going to be gone in two weeks. But I was like, no, we're going to take care of this mess. And I told the guy, I have never paid over $300 for a car before, like, to get it fixed. He was like, well, you're lucky. I'm like, whatever. So <laughs> that's that's the sad life I'm living right now. How about you? Oh, child, nothing. Um Let's see. You know, Pride was this this weekend. Um, we'll talk about that a little bit later. Other than that, I'm absolutely nothing. 
Um, we know, wait, I take that back. I am starting a, a new trainer next week. Um, I'm hoping for good things. Mm-hmm. It sounds like it's a good match. Um, I'm just hoping for some good results, but we'll see. I haven't, the last trainer I had was like, I had went to him before, but then he flaked out. Mm-hmm. Like he just went radio silence. Then went back to him. Well, my dumb ass went back to him. And then he did it again. I was like, okay, I'm done. So we'll see. Wait, can I do that? I mean, if- I guess. it's He really wasn't hurting for my money. So I'm like, well. So that's so but, weird because here they are they straight up hustlers here they well, you know they that's their real money if <laughs> they make sure their clients are always satisfied so that's it right it doesn't make a it's whatever mm-hmm. like bygones be bygones you can get the hell on you and your mama <laughs> um so yeah that's really all that's been going on with me trying to stay out of trouble that's good well, today we're going to kind of really talk about pride. You know, it's the last day we've been through this before. But even before we get into that, I just want to briefly talk about the debates. I don't know, did you see any highlights or anything of the debates this past week? I saw Miss um, Girl, what's her name? Marianne Williamson. <laughs> Acting like she's doing a cold read of Dorothy Michaels from Tootsie. Uh-huh. I'm like, what? Like, what is she doing? Was she auditioning for like All My Children? No, I don't know what she was doing. I call her the Good Witch, that TV show from Hallmark, because that's what she sound like up here, talking about some sage and we gonna save the world through love and come. We ain't got time for that. I was like, okay, girl, but what can you do? What have you done? Right, right. But wrote some books. I could have wrote some books about loving yourself. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, you raised the money, but she's popular over here, though. She is popular here in California. They love her, but you know how we are over here, in California. Y'all are weird. We are. <laughs> you know, some good weed would have some folks swear believing in God, but I'm just saying that. I don't. You know, she raised the money. That's how she's there. But I just don't expect her to keep being there. Unless right. she's Jill Stein, and we just don't know it. <laughs> but I'm just saying that, yeah, she was interesting to watch. I was like, girl, okay, all right. <laughs> I, I think about 15 of those candidates need to go ahead and drop out. Yeah, I went through a list of people. And I would say the first night was, a lot of people was like, the fact, okay, I, it was interesting because you think about it, there's a lot of white men up there. And a lot of them were up there because they believe they can do it, right? And, but then when you start listening to them, it's like, y'all just, the privilege and the, and the arrogance of why you thought you could do this is really showing. Like that Tim Ryan, when he was running his mouth, one thing, he's from, the, from um, Ohio, and he was like, First, he's talking about how we need to court white. We keep forgetting the white voters. And I'm like, no, we need to quit saying that. I'm so sick of that. Like, we have not forgot them. They have forgot who they are, the white working class. They keep forgetting who they are. They are working class. 
<laughs> they need to remember that. Everybody else of who's working class know who they are, but they, you know, they like to believe they be above that, even though they're not. And so he kept talking about that. But then when he got the whole Afghanistan situation wrong with Al-Qaeda and Taliban, and then that Tulsi woman who was, she's a mess too, but the fact that she called him out and say, well, look, I've been over there. I, I was a soldier. I don't know what you were doing, but you got it wrong. I was like, well, then he just pulled himself out. That was a problem. Then you had Beto. <laughs> Why isn't he not running for senator again? It just needs to do. I mean, I was like, sir, okay, just because you're cute and tall don't mean that you need to be trying to run for president. And it was very clear that you, he was not ready. And I'm mad at Cory Booker giving him that look. <laughs> like, yeah, everybody like looking at you like, okay, you trying to, all right, you really, you really doing it here. But, that uh, uh, speaking in Spanish was damn near pandering to me. I know. I was like, sir, we. People know who you are. I get you trying to be a bigger audience, but people already know who you are. They have spent too much airtime about you. So I think people know you. He has a documentary already out, like two documentaries out about him. So people know who he is. Mm -hmm. I'm just going like, you didn't have to do that. And yeah, they're going to go after you because what I'm learning now is the people they believe that should not be there, they're going to make a target. And they made him a target and he just was not prepared for that because they came for him quick that night but really the second night was really the tea because <laughs> i was sitting there like okay we have bernie we have biden we have kamala we got pete we got the people that everybody's trying those are the ones that are already they in the top five right you had warren who's basically the only one you know from the night before but here we are, and then you have Bernie still. Like, Bernie, to me, was like, you saying stuff, but you're not answering the question. Um, and then you had Biden. Biden was funny to me, because he kept doing this, I did this, I rolled the rock away to free Jesus. I did. I'm like, Right, like he checked on Jesus in, uh, after the uh, three days. Like, get off the cross because we need the wood Biden. god damn like we know who you are i guess like we know what you've done but what and and i, I was i will say this i'm biased everybody knows everybody knows i'm a, I'm a kamala harris stand. but that moment when she took she did several things one when she said guys we're not here for a food fight we try to figure out how to put food on the table i was like uh, i'm mad at you i was like okay <laughs> You got everybody together on that point, but when she got Biden together, I was like, I was not ready for that. I was sitting there like, what? She got you. And I was like, wait a minute. You know, I like to research stuff before I try to put it out there. So I went and looked. I was like, oh, hell. But not only all oh, hell, there are clips of him talking about this proudly. And I was like, oh, my God. And now that all these clips are out now. But she got him. He got all defensive. And I was like, I think what I was, somebody said this to me and, I, and it makes a lot of sense. They were like, people have to be careful going after a black woman because it will look like you're going after a black woman, especially if you're a white man, how the optics of that look. And so, you know, he's going to come off defensive and he was. And I was like, Biden, just admit you were wrong. Just, 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 you can do that. You have earned the right to say I was wrong and this is why I want to do things better because he still is, is some issues with that whole um, issue with um, Anita Hill. 
Right. And he just apologized this year. <laughs> because and of the money. That. Hmm. So I was like, okay, Biden. But then, you know, what got me, the one thing that got me besides Marianne speaking spells was the, <laughs> okay, so Pete Buttigieg, you know, he's our, he's the gay man. He's the gay candidate. And he was saying some good stuff about religion. You know, he's, he's good with words. He's a good wordsmith. I like good stuff. But what hurt my feelings <laughs> was when, no, actually, I was proud of him when he actually took ownership of that whole black, of the black man being shot in his, in his, in his town. Appreciated that. But it was Eric Starwell that just, that, that, that was a moment where I was like, he came out of nowhere. And I feel like as you, if you're running for president, the main people you need to, you shouldn't worry about the front runners. You should be worried about the ones who have nothing to lose. Like Castro, like uh, uh, Eric Swalwell, or like a um, like a Booker, yeah. Because they will say whatever they need to say. And when Eric Swalwell told him, "You could have fired the chief," you're the mayor. You could have fired the chief. And then he tried to do like, well, according to the law, he's like, "Nope, you could have fired the chief." And the funny thing is, Swalwell had a point because he did fire the black chief. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, he he came. And even if, you know, you have, even though if the facts don't always completely come out right, there's still that, that dotted line of, you actually, you could have done that. And this, you could have done it this way. It gave Stalwell a little, a small amount of credibility, but a, a good attack that anybody could use against Pete. Mm-hmm. But that look that Pete gave, <laughs> I want, if y'all have not seen that, that moment when Eric goes after Pete, and that look that Pete gave Eric was pure, pure drama. Bitch. He was like, girl. <laughs> I will see you after the function. That's what that right. was. I'm going to find you. It was literally that meme where it's that drag queen talking and then somebody comes up and snatched it. It was basically that moment. And I was like, at that moment, this is going to sound horrible and shallow, but I kind of found Pete attractive. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know why. I was like, oh, okay, you got a little bit of, you got a little bit of venom in you. Okay, I can see you might be a vicious top. I don't know. Anything is possible with you. All right. <laughs> but no, basically, uh, <laughs> it's going to be something to see because, you know, we, they have another one at the end of the month, of next month. and. It's going to be interesting to see who's going to be there. Um, still standing for Kamala, of course. I went, we went to, there was a, a viewing party for her, so we went there. Um, it was really great and fun and exciting. Um, and I really believe, I really believe she has a great shot. Um, but what this is what I will say, and I won't really get into it. Black men, I don't know what's really happening with a lot of y'all, especially a lot of you want to be, activists but we see you when you attack black women in a way that you don't attack anyone else and i've just noticed over the weekend how many black men who are supposed to be activists attack her but the way you attack her you're attacking her with lies um and just a lot of untrue facts that's not even no statement (laughs) i just made up a new thing but a lot of just a lot of lies and it's really disheartening to see how black men flock to do that to successful black women 
and not anyone else, but you would do it very hard against a black woman. And just remember, the fact that a lot of you are even questioning if she's black is another issue. One day we'll get into that, but it's interesting to see this playbook of how this was used against Obama, because if we go back and remember when Obama was running in 2008, there was questions about how black he was. And I, I want us to quit going down this path about how black somebody really is. Because that's gonna always be different from where we're from, whether you're from the North to South or from Los Angeles to Florida, that's always gonna be different. But the fact that we've been going here about her blackness, and one of the activists who is doing it, when you look at him, you have to question, what, what is he? With his curly, wavy, long hair, and his bright ass light skin, who's lighter than me, I'm like, sir, well, we can do the same to you, but we're just not gonna do that. They do the same thing with uh, Pete, like, oh, how gay is he? You know, like, how many dicks did you suck? How many dicks did you I'm like, why does it even matter, y'all? True. Get out of it. I know, it's like, that's a good point too, to jump on that particular piece. As gay people, we are all over the place. We can be nerdy, we can be, you know, film. We can be so many different things. We can't just because he ain't out here with an OnlyFans account and um, everything doesn't mean he's less gay. <laughs> he's just the way he is. You know, I mean, I grew up in Tennessee, went to college in Kentucky. There were a lot of gay guys like that. You know, just they were just, you know, just like Millhouse. They were basically that right. person. And they, well, I get, yeah, I'm in LA. And all the, you know, there's different types of gays here. So we need to stop trying to quantify blackness and gayness in these, in these candidates. If she is a black woman, he is a gay man. She is, yeah, she has an Indian background. So what? <laughs> She's still black. Her father is Jamaican. And I was like, okay, y'all. I was like, okay, this... She was black, she was treated as black, she went to Howard. What else did you need to know? Yes, white people go to Howard. But also, why would, I mean, I don't say that like that. But again, (laughs) she is a black woman. Quit trying to question what she is. And and please, take the time to look up what a prosecutor is, because I'm tired of y'all. You can't base what a prosecutor is from Law and Order, or whatever movie you watch on Lifetime. You have to actually understand what that job is in different states. And that's my two cents. Yeah, I didn't watch the the debates because I don't have the bandwidth. <laughs> um, and then Twitter was just going to recap it for me anyway. Yeah, that's true. But I will say, like, my front runners are Warren Harris. Uh, and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not I'm not voting for a white man you know what that's where I'm feeling too and I especially when we have so many rich candidates you know Castro's is up there he's my top three because it's Harris Warren and Castro at this time because Castro he came out swinging too when he came after Beto yeah I am like we have this rich of the candidacy out here it's hard for me to even look at a Biden I get that some black people from want to look at him because he's familiar, but honey, there's too many, when we have these opportunities to look, and you know, it's funny because this is the redux of 2008 when 
they looked at Hillary over Obama. They was like, well, we got to go to Hillary because we know her. We, Obama came out of nowhere because he was something fresh. Right. Happen again, and I feel like that, because I personally believe it, and maybe y'all can call me crazy. This is, Trump won't have a second term, but I feel like that we really need to make sure that he does it, but also we need to get somebody who, who's not a legacy up in that White House. Right. Oh, Lord. The drama, the drama, the drama. The drama. Let's talk about pride. <laughs> yes, we got, let's do a little bit more uh, Mace tea before our King's Eyes issue with a very special guest. Yes. So pride. <laughs> so every year, you know, we, we've talked about this a few times on the show, but how we feel about pride. And this year was a, a, was a special because it's the 50th anniversary of Stonewall. And, you know, the brick was thrown queer women of color, trans women of color were at the forefront, made it happen, changed the world. But I always feel like that every year around this time, we begin to also see kind of the ugliness within our community and the things that that beset our community too. Um, And I struggle with pride a lot. I struggle with pride a lot because I feel like that's, it just kind of reiterates the whiteness and the maleness of what it is to be in our culture. And I don't, I just, it just, I just struggle with it a lot, but I do like that there has been pushback against that. Um, and, you know, it's funny, we look at advertisements. I think you pointed something out and something where it's like, when you see queer ab- advertisements, it's still a white man. In, in the front of it. We are still putting that out there. There's still resistance of the new flag because it has a black and brown stripe, black and brown stripes in it. Um, and Corporations are still pandering and then changing their uh, stuff like the first day of July. <laughs> and also, did you see <laughs> American Red Cross had the audacity oh. to say something about uh, LGBTQ rights or something of the sort. I, I think I took a screen grab of it or whatever. But I'm like, bitch, we still can't even donate blood to y'all's asses unless we are uh, abstinent for like a year. I'm like, don't do all that. And then who else said something? Uh, a lot of these corporations are just the worst as far as saying, oh, we're here for we're here for queer rights or this, that, and the third. Um, but no, not really. Like uh, Victoria's Secret says something about uh, LGBTQ <laughs> members and whatnot. But y'all don't have any, y'all don't let trans models model y'all's mm. thread-bearing ass mm. clothing. Or uh Nickelodeon was saying something about pride but they had issues with um some of their uh LGBTQ content and some of their shows it's like don't say things like we know that you want this money the gay dollar is very uh we spend money and it's a heavy ass market but don't say one thing and then the next day say fuck you faggots that's what it feels like. That's what it feels like. And I and it still bothers me with the resistance 
of trans people within this movement. Considering that trans people are the reason why we even have you know this movement, but it, it just really bothers me to see that and still see that resistance though. And then it makes me and it bothered me again because you know, I was on one one night. And when I think about the BET Awards, for example, and how there was no love really given to Pose or anything about it. And I'm sitting here thinking about the fact that Pose has made history. It is doing well. It is employing trans writers, trans writers of color. It is talking about the lives we don't even see. And yet, we it's just that the, the people are not giving it the love I feel like it deserves. I feel like that they should have been there. Um, or they could have, you know, just let somebody come up around stage and just, you know, give out an award or even have a moment to talk about trans issues within, you know, especially with Black trans women being murdered at the numbers that they're being murdered. And I feel like that could have been something that has, that could have been talked about on that platform. And nothing. Like, were they even invited? I don't think so. I think Angelica Ross kind of talked about a little bit about that on her Twitter. But I don't think they were invited. Yeah. And then somebody uh, made a, a good comment. They asked Angelica, she's like, even if you all were invited, would you even feel safe there? And she said, I can't even say that with a hundred. I can't even answer that to a 100% accuracy if I would feel safe there. Yeah. And that's why I'm all, I don't go up for the oh, I'm rooting for everybody black because everybody black ain't rooting for me. Right. No, I can't. I'm not subscribing to that logic. And that's really sad because when I saw that response, I was like, that is sad that this day and age, especially in that realm, because I feel like always, because, you know, we always feel like the entertainment world has been always open, but we know that's not the case. But the fact that she did not she's not 100% sure she will feel safe mm -hmm. is really disheartening because that should not be the case. That should not be the case. Um, we are, I always believe, the builders and the backbone of the entertainment industry when it comes to queer Black folks. We have shaped this for way too long. <laughs> and we have kept people alive and fed and rich. And I feel like, like I always say to people, it would not, I've always, and you, people can come after me on this, I feel like there would be no Diana Ross without us. There'll be no Beyonce without us. You know, and so I feel like we need that respect, but we also need to make sure that that respect is being given back. And I feel like that it's, it's just sad to, to, to think about the fact that she or any successful trans woman of color would not feel safe in that realm. Right. It's just really disheartening. Did you see what had happened at uh, Stonewall? Okay, so I, yeah. Girl, and I'm just like, on the 50th anniversary too, like I just, don't understand. So if you weren't, uh, if you don't know, um, hold on, let me pull it up real quick because it was some bullshit. Uh, yeah. 
So this uh, one Twitter person was at Stonewall, the Stonewall Inn, mm-hmm. which is still a bar. Uh, there was a black trans woman who uh, she disrupted a, a drag show at Stonewall and was calling out everybody about the hypocrisy of pride and how uh, pride was all about parties and corporations, even though black trans women are dying. And then they said all hell broke loose. Uh, she said that, well, they were saying that, oh, she's uh, breaking up the party. Oh, she's doing this. She needs to be ran out. Um, call the cops on her. Call the cops on her. Let, let me just say that again. Call the cops on her at Stonewall on the 50th anniversary during Pride Weekend. Like, I, I don't understand. So she uh, tried to read the names of the black trans women who have died this year, uh, facts about them, their obituaries. Um, yeah, it was a lot of bullshit that was coming out, but also a lot of other people were saying, let her read this. You know, a lot of the allies that were with her and other people among the crowd were saying, let her read it. And, you know, she was, I think they were able to, uh, she was able to get everything out. Somebody called it fascism. Uh, it, it was just, it was a lot. And I'm like, you know, this is uh, a lot of times I have a problem with you white faggots that you always say, like, when prior to us getting gay marriage, Everybody was like, oh, we got to stick together. We got to do this. We got to do that. You know, love is love, yada, 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 this, that, the third. And then the minute that y'all was able to get gay marriage passed or uh, marriage equality, all of a sudden, oh, I got what I wanted. Y'all other motherfuckers are by yourselves. You know, it's still, granted, that was a huge thing that happened. However... I could still be evicted from my apartment. I could still be fired from my job. Mm-hmm. I'm still in, under the constant watch of police. And, you know, it, it's... Uh, it's so fucking tiring. It is. And you bring up a very good point because right now, as we, as we are seeing it, we're about to almost go back before Obama when we got all this stuff, at, you know, with this administration. And so what, you know, as we look into what's happening right now, people need to be aware that we can lose everything again. And and, it's, and let me rephrase that. Not everything. You can lose gay marriage again. We ain't had all the other stuff because certain states are still not allowing people to basically thrive. And so what we do need to do is we do need to stick together. And if we have to get back on track about what we need to fight for, it does need to be something that is affecting all of us. The fact that you can't be evicted. Like I was saying to someone, yeah, you can, great, you can get married, but some places, the minute you talk about your honeymoon at work, you can be fired for that. Mm-hmm. The minute you talk about, oh, I got to plan our honeymoon, they're like, oh, bitch, we're about to get fired today. So you just never know, you know, what these situations can when they can come at you and how they can come at you. So that's why I'm always like, we need to make sure right now they're trying to pass the Equality Act and that will kind of be the, the I guess, the, the catch-all. But we need to make sure that we have the people to do that. 
And we have to make sure that we have that support to do that. And we have to remember that in this battle for gay, for gay rights, it's not gay rights, it's queer rights and equality. We have to make sure that everybody is being safe in here because when we have trans women who can be murdered and killed, they still can't find jobs. They do have to turn to sex work sometimes. And that's, you know, unfortunately, that is something that they flourish in, but we want them to flourish in other things. And they don't have the opportunities and choices that many of us do. We have to fight for that. We have to fight for trans women to have the opportunities, just like everyone else, to have a good paying job. We have to make sure that we can have a good paying job that we can't get fired from and benefits. <laughs> and benefits. We're not even talking about benefits because that could be snatched from us as well. I remember when I was looking for a job years ago, um, I had to think about the fact that when I had a partner, if he could actually come with me, there was one place that was like, well, he can't live with you. I'm like, well, then I can't work here. So these are things that we always have to keep in mind. And when we're in this battle and this fight, we have to fight for all these things. Yeah, I, I can hear people saying we got to fight for one thing at a time. But if that's the case, we need to fight for the one that benefits most of us. If not all, most. And that means job protections, health care. Those come for me. That comes before marriage. Bitch, we can live together. <laughs> right. Well, I need to have some, we need to have some money and some benefits because somebody's going to get old and we're going to have to figure out what we're going to do. Because being broke and homeless is not cute. You can be married, but if you're still broke and homeless, bitch, what, what is it? What? Right. We still in the sweater for a dead dog. <laughs> yeah. And I don't even know how, how did we get on this from pride? I, anyway, <laughs> it's just, and I don't like, when other people start to police what other what pride means to everybody else. Oh yeah. Like I saw one um post on Facebook, obviously. They're like, oh, I don't understand why some of you uh gays uh walk around in thongs and underwear around pride. Pride is about this, pride is about that. And I'm like, why are you trying to police what pride means to somebody else? You know, pride can mean you know, the political activism that it was, it stood for. But pride also can mean sexual liberation, sexual freedom, being okay with one's body. You know, so get off that high, that imaginary high horse because let's be clear, we can read you the riot act too. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it just burned me up. And I, it was somebody that I know, and I'm like, girl, you can get red for filth right now if you want to. Yeah. And you know, that argument will always come up. And I will say this, it, it does bother me when there's more fight for the kinks and all those things than it is for equality. So I will always fight with equality, you know, like, woo, let's fight for this. But then the minute we try to add a black and brown stripe, y'all ready to riot. Um, so I would love that we would take the same amount of energy for the kinks and thongs, and use that same energy to always include, you know, trans people as well as equality within our movement. So I will always push that. But I, but yes, I, we should be able to express ourselves in the way we have. And I do. I have heard the arguments, and I sometimes understand those arguments because sometimes people will say that we have moved past showing everybody our sexuality. We're now in a new era. We need to focus on something different, and I get that. 
but for some places it is not that it's not that clear in the cities of course we can say we can move on because we got other things going but in places like kentucky and tennessee we're still being judged because of our sex and who we having sex with right you want to show that liberation you know feel free to do that but i do want people to have that same energy for you know showing that same support and 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 power to equality to um equity as well as to our trans community as well we need to make sure that we all stand together because they, they come with all of us it ain't just they come with all of us and we need to stand together because we could be in a horror movie when you go separately you die quickly so, mm-hmm. and uh, it's like there's still cities here in kentucky that are just having their first pride Mm-hmm. Like Richmond, Kentucky, where I went to school or went to college from, they just had their first pride this past weekend. Frankfurt, the capital city, had their first pride a couple of years ago. There's still, there's only 11 ordinances in the whole state where LGBTQ people have protection. Mm-hmm. Mind you, there's 120 counties in Kentucky there is still so much work that we have to do to to be safe yeah. to feel like well, to be on par with heterosexuals and whatnot and so these pride festivals these pride parades pride month whatever pride means to you is so important and i know like for me Whenever pride comes around, I'm like, oh, maybe I'll just sit out. I'm tired. But then something happens. And it's like, okay, I have to go. You know, if not for me, do it for like the little little kids down there. And I'm saying there is a lot of little kids that come to Lexington's pride. You know, they're wearing their trans flags. They're wearing their bisexual flags. Mm -hmm. And I remember I was talking to one queen, like me and we weren't that sure of ourselves when we were that age. Mm-hmm. You know, we were so far back in the closet, we would still find the Christmas presents. Mm-hmm. So to the little bit, it, it doesn't seem like going to a parade or a pride festival is revolutionary, but it does help to see yourself and other people that are coming behind you like in some sort of fashion you helped do you helped did that it's true and let's talk about that because our experiences you know growing up being black and queer was it's tough because we have so many barriers and things against us and when you think about that it is good for the kids to see us and it's good for the kids to see a hope for the future, you know what I mean? Because, you know, especially when I was coming up, it, it was not much. I just posted something about, you know, Lamar Luttrell for Revenge of the Nerds was one of the few things I had to turn to. Mm-hmm. And so we didn't really have much. And I remember when me and my good friend, um, Tavares, we we marched in New York. We marched in New York. Um, they prayed, probably prayed. Um, I think back in 2004 or five. And 
we did it during the time that um, J.L. King had that damn book about um, the down low. So wherever oh, yeah. that came out, that's when we did it. So uh, wherever year that was. And when he did it, we were already targeted. That We were targeted. Because we were looked at as, oh, all y'all were out here carrying diseases and mess- breaking up black families. Because that's where all that mess really began, you know. And then Oprah gave him that platform to talk about it. So we marched that year carrying signs that we are out. We, we're not down low here. And the when we were walking, and that's a long-ass walk, by the way. Uh, we were marching with Cornell because I was working for Cornell at the time. So that's how we got in. Um, but um, when we marched, the fact that we saw just seeing the young black kids, the young brown kids cheer for us and a mother come over and give us a hug for speaking for her son, that it, it floored me to the point I was crying at most of the walk because it was the fact that people were seeing, and, and I'm not saying this because it's not really, this is not about me at all, but it's the fact that we were sending a message about black queer men being out and being free and being an authentic self. The fact that we were seeing that made me believe, maybe it, it gave me hope about what pride really meant. And that has always been something I've carried with me. It's the fact that I realized that having a sign up was just affirming to many queer people of color that they could be free, they could be out, they could be marching. And uh-huh. that was a big thing to me because it was also big for me because that was something that I was like, I'm putting myself out here to the world that I am out, I am black, I am not down low, and I'm out here. Um, right. and, and it was something that Tavares and I thought, we, when we thought about it later, it hit us really hard that we were out there in the early 2000s making sure that people understood that we were not these, these you know, demonic you know, people breaking up the homes. We were people who were proud to be who we were. And I think it's always important for us to be out there because we remember what it felt like. So I always have pride for us as Black or queer people of color and Black people because we have to be visible because even to this day, we're still not as visible as the white counterparts. And we need to make sure that people see us and understand us. And something that you said, and I hope you talk about this on Twitter one day about how we need to be uplifting towards better towards each other, uplifting towards each other. That is still an issue that we are struggling with a lot because it hurts how, uh, you know, even some of the, the black gay, you know, Twitter celebrity people have more white followers and follow more white gay people than they do queer people of color. That's mm-hmm. always been disheartening to me. And maybe that's in all of our things that we don't even realize it. And but that's something we need to really pay attention to. Yeah, I don't know. I think I was on one when I was in my feelings when I said that online. And it was just like, I don't, I have a few Black gay friends here. Mm-hmm. And it's not from the lack of trying. Mm-hmm. And it's not from the wanting. It just seems like some Black gays only want to, you know, they want that that closeness to whiteness. Mm-hmm. 
and they don't want to give up that their position or that privilege being that close to whiteness. So like, I get it. I honestly get it. But also, it is a very lonely place to be in. It is. And I've noticed that, like, you, and, and, and I'm not trying to, we're not trying to shade anybody, but it is right. very visible when you see, you know, certain Black queer, um, again, celebrities who talk about pop or whatever culture, and when you look at their Twitter or Instagram, they are surrounded by a, a ton of white gays. And it's just like, wow, that's interesting. And it makes you think as you go higher in this game, or if you like, and that could be in any career or whatever, you, the, 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 you're more pushed into whiteness. But I also think you have to also have your armor on to remind yourself that in this group, you are looked at as the safe bet of, oh, well, you're one of the good ones or, or you're one of the cool ones. I would never sleep with you. I would never, maybe not even respect you, but you along, but you give me, you check off a box that makes me feel better about myself. Mm-hmm. And I want people to always remind themselves, I do that because writing, you know, cause in, for example, in writing comics right now, is something I just stumbled into, but realizing that when I am um, working with Prism or when I'm in the room full of queer um, comic people, I'm one of the few people of color in there, if not the only one. Today, I will be probably the only one when I go to this event. And I realize that we have to be aware of who we are in the room, but we also need to take what energy we do have and make sure we can put others just like us in the room. One of the reasons why I even do a panel about Black and queer stuff at Comic-Con is to make sure, not even about us being on the damn panel, is to make sure that I'm providing a space for Black queer people at the entire thing was 10, I guess, no, it's more than 10,000. 100,000 people are there that they know that they can come in there and see other queer Black folks in that space. That That is one of the only reasons why I even do it is because I want everybody to be like, here in this space, I found other queer black people I can talk to so they can like connect. And I feel like that we have to always try to wherever, if whenever we get a platform is to make sure our voices are heard, but also making sure that we are providing seats at the table. And I'm not always clear, I'm not always sure that some of our, you know, queer black celebrities are doing that or, or, somewhat aware of that and uh, i understand at times you know we are still dealing with our own hurt and our own issues to where we are looking out for ourselves and ourselves only and i understand that but i also think that there's a time and place we have to be like okay let me put me out of it today and look at how i can kind of help others get there and how to support others to get there and we need to be open to that support too we can't be looking at it as somebody's trying to get in our shine we have to look at it sometimes as somebody is just trying to be heard and seen so they can be, so they can just be, you know, if that makes any sense, just so they can just feel like they're being seen by somebody who's going, who's been through what they've been through. 
Yeah, and I know, like you said, we're not trying to read nobody. We're not be trying to be shady. Like, even folks can say that about me, you know, having a white partner mm-hmm. and whatnot. But, you know, we're not trying to come from it like a a vindictive or nasty kind of way. It's just we need to be more we need to be better for ourselves. You know, it, it, just, it just needs to happen. It does. Because if we don't be better for ourselves, we're not prepared for anything that comes to come out there to knock us down. Right. We have to be able to stand strong together. And, you know, even though we're talking about this, and if y'all feel like we don't do that, come, you know, come see us. And, you know, you know tweet us, say, hey, I, w- I like to see y'all do better with this. Let us know, because we do want to do that. We want to be, you know, uplifting us. And that's why we do what we do, is because we want to uplift us. We want to have a voice out there that is a part of what we're doing to amplify us. We want to have enough out there to make sure that people hear us, know us, and even inspire others to do the same thing. So you know, if I just want people to understand that we want to see the best in our community in all forms but we have to also do the work to make sure that happens. Yeah. And if you want to go as far as pride, how you celebrate pride, if you want to go to an orgy and get your walls taken down from <laughs> here to Kathmandu, you go ahead and get them walls uh, crumbled. And if you want to go dance the night away and your go-go boots and a G-string and popped up on uh some HTC, go ahead and do your thing. And if also, if you just want to keep it chill, have a couple of drinks, see the drag show, that's also okay. Yeah. Lord, somebody's dying out here. But yes, you should be, you should be able to be yourself, basically. And you should be able to explore who you are. And you should be able to have pride in that. Um, and so, yeah, you know, go out there and be. That's all, that's all we really say. Go out there and be. Right. You said Catman, dude. <laughs> <laughs> you know you're from the South when you're bringing up some of the old things that our grannies and aunties be saying. Yes, I am. Oof. <laughs> well, any last words before we go ahead and wrap up Mace Tia? No, you know, as, as we said, this is the last day. So, you know, make the best of it. For those that are in New York Pride, um, we see you, and I know y'all having a great time representing. But also take that time to remember who started this and probably who will be the ones to finish it. Mm-hmm. Well, let's go ahead, get this tea all cleaned up, and get ready for uh king-size issue. All right. All right, and we are back. Thank you all for joining us for this all-new episode of Megashane. Uh, we have a very special guest here with us. He is a returning guest. Uh, he is a queer artist. He has a new single out entitled Another Broken Heart from his, uh, the first single from his new EP, Dreamland 2. We welcome to the show again, Mr. Billy Wynn. Hey guys, how are you doing? Pretty good. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you um, for me. Oh, no problem. No problem at all. So we're just going to get right into it. 
Okay. You have a new uh, new single, yeah. Another Broken Heart, from your yeah. new EP, Dreamland 2. Tell us what is your inspiration behind the song. Um, so Another Broken Heart is kind of the story of my life, in a way. That's how I think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, having very casual um, acquaintances and, and um, dating, um, that you, you know, it's fun and you're having a good time. And then all of a sudden someone um, starts to catch feelings that are a little bit more serious um, and certainly not how you might feel. Um, and once that happens, in my experience, it always ends badly. Um, and so that's what the song sort of is about. It's illustrating uh, the idea of things sort of going wrong when feelings are not mutual, when it's kind of unrequited. Um, yeah, and it kind of uh, is like the flip side of what I was talking about with Dreamland 1. Okay. Yeah. So basically like a uh, almost an anthology, if you will, or some kind of a story that you're telling between the two EPs. Definitely. Um, Dreamland, like as a whole, uh, the idea um, is that after both parts are available, that you could take Dreamland 1 and take Dreamland 2 and put them together to tell a story, your own version of the story. Um, because Dreamland was recorded, initially it was recorded as an album, and I decided to break it up into two projects, just, you know, as far as like what I felt like I could handle um, from like a marketing standpoint and all of that, um, like the, the, you know, politics behind the scenes. Um, so we broke it up into two projects. And what happened with that uh, is that Dreamland, I spent more time with Dreamland 2 and therefore with the, the overall concept. And so I started to write songs that were broader in a sense of um, not necessarily heartbreak, but just like how complicated relationships can get and how gray they actually can be. Cause it's not just about, I like a boy and he likes me and now we're together. It, it never happens that way. Uh, you know what I mean? It's always like, well, I liked this boy, uh, but he did not like me the way that I liked him. And so there was another boy who liked me who I don't really like that much. I tend to find that it happens more like that. And so that's where um, songs like Another Broken Heart are kind of uh, written from. Um, not being one individual in the situation or the other individual in the situation, just kind of being someone observing the situation and commenting on it from that standpoint. That's awesome. Uh, so you uh, got your start in the the EDM genre. Yeah. Uh, what about this specific genre of music makes it feel like home to you? Um, I think it's the gayness. <laughs> to be perfectly to be honest, like with dance music, um, like the history of like dance music, like disco and where dance music uh, has always thrived, like in the gay underground, um, has always been a place that I felt comfortable being myself. Um, and 
doing other types of music uh, as far as like uh, when you think about pop music, like R&B or um, any popular style of music for a long time, it, was, it wasn't coming across for me uh, in my early stages because I felt uncomfortable. Like I didn't feel like I could be my entire self and I didn't know who that was yet as an artist. So with when I started making dance records with EDM is where I sort of stepped fully into like being Billy Wynn, so to speak. And from there was able to sort of maneuver front between um, styles of music and stuff like that because I already knew who I was artistically or and where I was going and where I wanted to go. Um, and so coming back to that every few songs is important to me um, because it's the place where like, I feel like I'm most in my element. Mm -hmm. I, I have a question about you being one of the few and, it, and, and it's sad that it's a very small number of queer black men in this industry, considering that I always feel like as queer people of color, we kind of built, you know, dance music into the into what Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. How does it feel being one of the few within this genre? And also, how do you feel um, being somewhat the voice, um, playing or playing a voice within, or being the one of the voices within our community in this music genre? Um, how do I feel? It depends on the day, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because as as a black American mm -hmm. gay man, mm -hmm. um, you definitely feel the, not necessarily the pressure, but the, uh, I'm gonna say annoyance that comes along with being out and also being an artist and trying to sort of get through uh, to people without that sort of first layer being about being black and then being gay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like it, for me, it is, those are just facts of life. They're not gonna change. Um, so I've learned to be comfortable and to thrive and to accept and own those um, in a way that works for me. It's a way that some people may uh, disagree with or not fully understand yeah. Um, or not be able to perpetuate themselves, but it does work for me. And so beyond that, the thing that is uh, important to me is getting the messages across, like getting the art across. Um, just like as an example, you know, when we started this interview and like Nick like had the facts, like he knew the name of the song, he knew the name of the EP, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like there was reference to the, the first EP, like those are the things that are important to me. Um, as a queer artist of color, because that means that people are listening to what I'm saying and they're not just booking me for things or thinking of me uh, for, because, of, because I'm gay and because I'm black. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like it's affecting the culture in a way that I want to. And then I want people to remember that, he, that I'm gay and that I'm black. You understand what I'm saying? Right. Yeah, like it's definitely, it's 360. Like, get to the art, but then also, oh, yeah, I am definitely Black, and I am definitely gay. 
And never more than, you know, the times that we live it in and the political uh, life that we're living now under this orange agent, um, <laughs> it's now more pressing to be visible and, you know, your ethnicity and your sexuality and because, you know, they come for everybody. I agree. You know what I mean? I think that um, one of the most important things that I didn't realize that I was doing um, until I started touring again is inspiring uh, kids. Because, you know, kids come out really, really young now compared to, like, I came out when I was, like, 16. Um, but, like, I'm seeing kids come out at, like, nine intent and being someone who is uh being told that i'm inspiring this means a lot especially in the times that we that we're in um i get messages on instagram and social media from kids all the time who you know are like you you know you inspire me to like not necessarily like come out like in the traditional sense but just to be themselves and to be comfortable like being feminine or comfortable like liking makeup and and things like that I think that that's so important um in this time and another sort of responsibility that I've didn't set out to have but that I've accepted as um a black gay recording artist Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because it's still right. like, there are so, I agree, there are so few of us that um, exist in a sort of, in a recognizable way. Um, and it's, it can only grow if we all sort of keep at what we're doing um, and keep um, not just inspiring, but also educating, you know, the people who don't know and who can't know what it is to live this life and to to be to be this way Mm -hmm. what what i appreciate about your music is it does show the the multiple sides of you know romance and love and 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 lust and sadness and all that because i all those things that i think that we are known well how do i say well people feel like we don't have you know because i feel like when they think about gay black men we're we're emotionalists we are just dicks well we're sexualized yeah we're We're sexualized you know it's not it doesn't go any further than than that a lot of times it's just about you know Mm -hmm. being you know black and therefore you know, all of the, the, the sort of basic and a lot of times untrue sexual fantasies that people can have about um, Black men in general, yeah. they are amplified when you tap on homosexuality because now that means that it's just about sex yeah. constantly, that we don't have relationships or that we don't um, show emotions if we have them to begin with. Yeah. And that's why I appreciate what you're doing is because you're showing that through the music and showing that it's okay to have these feelings and these doubts and all these things. You know, you think about another heartbreak and it's like, yes, we don't always talk. We're, we're one, told to be 
so, you know, so overly strong as stone that we don't show emotions or we don't have, you know, we can't even embrace <laughs> each other. Right. Uh, I like that your music is also just kind of giving people like to go, you know, going through the emotions, understanding what that is. And yes, we all go through that. So I think that's a very good thing. And through dance, I always feel like through dance music, these messages seep in like, oh, okay, okay. I, I can do I can feel this way. That's just totally fine. And also when I think about us as gay black men, you know, everything is already against us anyway. <laughs> For every one night that's taken out, there's six more in there. So it's mm -hmm. like... I, I like the fact that your music is giving us that vulnerability and also giving us also the ability to be free and to enjoy and to dance. Because I think sometimes um, we may forget that in this overall struggle, even though we love to dance. But at the same time, we may forget um, that we can incorporate all these feelings and emotions at once and also really find the time to enjoy ourselves, if that makes any sense. I think that it's, for me, like the the music um, is authentic in the way that it is coming from, mm -hmm. it's the, 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 the songs are very human. Mm -hmm. um, the experience is very universal from what I understand from people who I've known, because I don't just write about um, gay situations, so to speak. Mm -hmm. I write from the perspective uh, from which I live. Mm -hmm. but a song like Another Broken Heart um, or a song like I had a, a, one of the other songs from, <clears throat> excuse me, from Dreamland One, If You Really Care, uh, those are situations that I think we can all relate to. The difference is for people who, um, <laughs> who need something to latch on to something that they can understand once they get through the fact that it's gay. Yeah. And then past the point that is coming from uh, a black person, then they can understand the story that's being told and understand that simply put, it's just, you know, a love song or a sad song um, that we can all relate to. Uh, Another Broken Heart, is so it's getting since it's been playing i'm starting to get the feedback from people oh this is a really sad song <laughs> <laughs> and i've been waiting for that moment because when you hear it because it's up tempo people don't understand that the song is actually talking about something really deep and really heavy uh -huh. and then after hearing it a few times they kind of tune into the story that's being told, you know, I think like with that record, my uh, disposition is indifferent. Um, as far as like the character, uh, because I was trying to illustrate something specific, um, but I am happy to hear my audience tell me what they think about the song and how they feel uh, the song, you know, if it's sad for them, you know, say if it's a little shady, you know what I mean, or if they just like to dance to it. Um, that authenticity is something that I think is always being missed with uh, gay music in general, but definitely 
with black gay music because they you know everything has to be a characterization Mm -hmm. and it can't be if it gets too deep like quote unquote non-gay stuff then people can't understand it right um i was actually nervous to put another broken heart out to be to be honest (laughs) why why were you nervous um so i don't know if you guys heard uh there was a record that I put out earlier this year. Uh, it was like a, like a single, a one-off. It was, it's not on Dreamland One. It's called WDHS. Okay. And, and WDHS is, um, it stands for, it, it, it's the, uh, the acronym for the, the chorus of the song. Won't drop till my heart stops. And it's like a dance funk record. It's super fun. And since, uh, it's gotten a lot of attention and I knew that it was going to get a lot of attention because it is just one of those kind of novelty records that people just really like to dance to. It's not a lot to think about when you hear the record. And people like were going in for this record. Um, actually, I was in Hollywood mm-hmm. and the record started playing when I was at um, Chapel. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, they're playing my record here. <laughs> um, and actually, that time I was in Hollywood, like people were coming up to me uh, because my hair is still, well, not anymore, but it was super blonde. Mm-hmm. People would come up to me from behind, like, I thought that was you. You're Billy Wayne from, from Instagram. I know your song. Da, 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 da. And they would start to sing the melody. And it, it made me nervous because I'm like, shit. Now that I've put out this very fun but meaningless song in terms of the story, right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to follow it up with <laughs> Another Broken Heart, which gets deep, like, off, like, from the beginning. It gets deep. And so I wasn't sure how people were going to uh, respond or to receive the record because it wasn't, um, it's not stereotypical, I guess of what you would think would come from a gay artist or a black gay artist. Right. So uh, more about Another Broken Heart. So it was uh, initially supposed to be maybe like a a mid-tempo or not so much of a dance song, but your production team, uh, Johnny and Elliot, changed it? Yeah, so when I... Uh, came into so when I come into the studio um, with Johnny Elliott, I usually come in with a, an idea um, and at least some kind of melody just to work from. Um, we work well that way. And so when we started focusing on Dreamland 2, Another Broken Heart was actually, let me make sure I'm telling the truth. Yeah, the first <laughs> song that we ended up uh, producing. And when I came in, the original version of the song that I had in mind was still summery, you know, very like breezy and light, but it was more, it, it was more rhythmic in terms of like being groovy. It wasn't um, an EDM record. Mm-hmm. When Johnny heard the chorus, um, we did an experiment to see how fast I could actually sing it. Mm-hmm. and he then sped it up oh. <laughs> oh. so when he did that that's when I was like oh this does work as 
a dance record. By dance record standards, the song still is slow. Like the way it's being sung, it's still very slow for uh, like a, a disco record. Um, but we did speed it. We sped it up to make it into um, a dance record. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. That's one of the um that's one of the the parts about making music that I love. It's like first of all, creating something from nothing, but then um collaborating because as a pop singer, like I'm always collaborating with someone. You know, I don't I don't make I don't produce my my own tracks fully. Uh, I take part in the process, but I always work with producers. And so that collaboration, always hearing other people's interpretation of an idea to then get to the final, the final project. Um, I'm super proud of Another Broken Heart because I did not expect for it to come out the way that it did. Mm-hmm. Um, like I knew it was like a good record and that it was something that people could relate to. But when it was finished and I heard it, I was like, huh maybe (laughs) let's see what happens that's awesome yeah so throughout your process of uh coming up with both the the eps Mm -hmm. what uh other genres or other artists do you look for for possible inspiration um are you asking me about both or about dreamland 2 uh both for so the the inspiration was the same at the beginning, but then it kind of switched once the projects became uh, separated. With Dreamland One, the inspiration uh, was a little bit more broad because um, I was just sort of getting back on my feet, so to speak, with music after like my last record deal and that whole situation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sorry, they're, they're vacuuming outside my hotel room. <laughs> uh, I was just getting back uh, into like the, the swing of like writing and, and coming up with concepts and trying to figure out like who I was musically now. Mm-hmm. So my inspirations were just kind of based on for Dreamland One, things that I was sort of listening to and trying to figure out like where dance music uh, was at the, at that moment mm-hmm. um, and what it could sound like in the future. Um, versus Dreamland Two, where, like I said, I've had a lot of time to sit with <clears throat> those records. And um, I, can, I can share this spoiler. Dreamland 2 is actually uh, more down-tempo than it is EDM. Oh, okay. Because I was listening to a lot of, like, this is it's going to sound weird. So the first part isn't going to sound It's fine. I was listening <laughs> to a lot of music from the 90s, um, so like specifically, like, TLC's Crazy Sexy Cool mm-hmm. and Janet's, Jackson's Janet and Velvet Rope. Mm-hmm. But also listening to artists like um, Troy Sivan and Tovlo, uh, and artists who are, their music is very synthy. Um, it's not necessarily dance music, but it is. It takes from that genre in terms of the instrumentation. Mm-hmm. 
and trying to figure out how can I take these two or three worlds and put them into a pot, melt them down, and then make them into something that I've never heard before. Right. And that's kind of the uh, inspiration behind Dreamland 2. In my opinion, it kind of, it still teeters really, really heavily on like a 90s inspired vibe. Um, especially when you, when you hear some of the, uh, the records that haven't come out yet. Like the next, the second single, for example, um, is definitely more, uh, it's giving you some serious like 90s inspiration. Um, but in general, that's where the, the inspiration for Dreamland 2 uh, came from, was just trying to mesh these two worlds uh, together in terms of the sound. Um, the story was always going to be the story. I had the idea for Dreamland for since my last record deal <laughs> before I got dropped. Um, and I didn't get a chance to, to, uh, to work on it. Um, and so once the opportunity came along for the overall project, Dreamland 1 and Dreamland 2, the stories were always going to be along the lines of what you've been hearing um, in the story that I am, the overall story that I'm telling. Mm -hmm. And those were good inspirations. I mean, Crazy Sexy Cool, uh, Velvet Rope. The Velvet Rope doesn't get as much as a recognition as it should. But that's I agree. Yeah. I think that like, it was one of those things, like the Velvet Rope was one of those those things like it was um for me it was a generational thing because i was just getting to a place where i realized how much i loved music mm -hmm. and it just so happened to be her project at the time mm -hmm. and like as a you know what i couldn't have been more than like eight maybe ten something like that yeah. As a kid, you know, you sort of like latch on to like what's available, like right in front of you. Right. And so that was the Janet album that was available at the store. So that was the one that, that I got. And then from there, I was able to go back to Janet and go back to Control and go back to Rhythm Nation. Um, but the Velvet Rope always uh, has been like when I think about her, I think about that album first because that was the first album of hers that I ever owned like, that I went and like paid money for yeah. to, to start to understand like what kind of music I liked mm -hmm. I remember yeah. the first album I, that I bought <laughs> first album I bought was China uh, Foxy Brown's China Doll from Walmart and it was half edited half unedited it was just a mess. <laughs> I was not allowed to, even though I wanted it, I was not allowed to have that uh, album. I wasn't allowed to listen to um, to rap music growing up. I don't think my mom cared. Because yeah. we were, we listened from anything from like the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. I mean, we were music heavy in my, my family. So I don't think she really gave a damn, but she didn't really want us singing it, you know? Right. No, in my you could listen. it was a lot of like, so uh, my sisters, my siblings are um, older than, than I am, uh, like by 10 years at least. Um, and so when I was growing up, like when I was a kid, uh, there was a lot of like, 
music that was current that was being played, like TLC and Aaliyah and Brandy, Monica. But then also, like, they would play, like, New Edition and, like, Michael Jackson's Thriller and, like, uh, Whitney and, like, all this music from, like, the late 80s, early 90s. Um, and then my my father, specifically, would play, like, soul music from the 70s. Um, that coupled with being a theater kid and learning musical theater and um, training vocally, uh, vocally training classically, was a lot of, of different types of music that I was absorbing. Mm-hmm. Um, and even with that, I always knew that I wanted to be a pop singer. Like that, that was the, the place that, that I felt comfortable as far as like what it was and I, where I saw myself in the future. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, because I guess like right after that would have been like Britney and NSYNC. And that was like my like early teens. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know what I mean? That's when I was like, you know, getting ready to like go audition for like American Idol and stuff because obviously that was <laughs> it was time to, you know, join join the the, the pop revolution. That's what I thought anyway. That obviously didn't happen. Maybe one day we, we should talk about Velvet Rope. I don't know why I'm... Because it just brings back so many... I was in college when that came out, so I'm a little bit older. But I was in college. <laughs> and that... It just... That was like a very strong introduction to... I mean, Janet was kind of an introduction to her sexuality, but this was more into... It was it was an introduction to sexuality, but also I think it helped a lot of us kind of open up about our sexual our sexuality and our feelings and our emotions. And the album, Nick is right. It's I believe it's underrated. And one day we should just talk about the effect of Velvet Rope because it's absolutely because I've it, never met I've yeah. never met a person who did not love yeah that album. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't appreciate it then because I was so young. But now how how experimental she was in her sounds yeah and janet has always been on the forefront of that anyway so people didn't acknowledge what she was doing then as much as they do now which is a shame because you know some sometimes people's musical tastes (laughs) are lacking and that's 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 why it was such an inspiration for 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 me doing Dreamland too because it's that's part of like my story really is people not understanding because of a lack of musical taste people not understanding what I'm doing um you know like I'm to me it's like it's pop music like it's not hard I'm not uh speaking in a lot of metaphor um you know what I mean? I'm telling it like it is. So when people don't understand it, um, I kind of get confused. You know what I mean? But I'm also like a self-evaluator. So when I listen to my records compared to like records that inspire me, I'm like, okay, they didn't really understand this. If you go back and like read reviews from when like the Velvet Road was, was can come out, right? Mm-hmm. And people didn't really understand. They wanted something more pedestrian, something that they could latch on to that they didn't have to think about. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's one of those things that 
I always sort of um, hold on to as an as an artist is that you know you can do things that people that are pedestrian and that you know just kind of a b c d e f g like that's fine to do because that's how you make your money but mm -hmm. also don't lose like your the art the creativity of it um because people eventually will understand what it is that you're trying to say right um yeah. So I was going to say the same thing with, with Aaliyah's last album, uh, which definitely, like, I don't, it doesn't matter what project I'm doing or what it sounds like. That album is always an inspiration for everything that I do. So. Loose Rap is my favorite uh, song on that album. Loose Rap yeah. was one of my favorites. Um, what If mm -hmm. um, I Can Be. Yep. Um, yeah, that album was fucking amazing. Sorry. <laughs> like, I, I, when I listen to it still to this day, like, it was just so ahead of its time. Um, and it's, I mean, it doesn't matter where I go as far as, like, the, the genres of my music. That, that album is always an inspiration. That's always, like, my, my go-to place to, like, center myself in terms of, like, what I love music about music. Right. and then go from there um yeah so let's let's throw that one in there too so tlc face sexy pool <laughs> janice jackson of rope and Aaliyah's uh self-titled album those are the dreamland 2 inspirations <laughs> awesome victor well i feel like i got fed <laughs> <laughs> with so yeah much with everything and you know billy your music is i feel like it moves us forward and i feel like it is something that i that i think a lot of us need to be looking forward to and also giving the giving the credits that it deserves so i appreciate the work that you're doing and i'm glad you're out here i was just watching a documentary called wig and uh, i saw a preview for that not to cut you off i want to see it is it good it is good um and i was thinking of kevin avian and oh yes and how i remember when you know kevin was out there like you know way back in the early, like the late 90s early 2000s and i feel like you know with so much that is missing within our the music and in our in our culture and what have you i feel like you're putting that back in there so continue continue all this good work because thank you so much need to have more of us at the forefront and also you know thinking about the things you were saying like how you know like janet and everyone else we need more of that because i don't feel like we are i mean there's a lot of indie artists and every once in a while i will hear it i'm like oh my god who is this? But right. I think we need to have more because we're getting so, you know, kind of bombarded with pop or kind of the, the appropriation of our music and pop that I feel like that we need more. So I just have to say thank you for putting this stuff out here and making sure that we know that it's coming from an unapologetic Black gay man that is giving us this music. Thank you so much. Like, that, that really does mean a lot to me because... Like, as you know, this industry can be a struggle. <laughs> like, you know, I'm still indie and I still consider myself to be like, if people ask me, like, how I describe myself as an artist, it is always gay underground. Mm -hmm. um, 
and not in the like the most underground sense but just in terms of like where I tend to find the support for what it is that I'm doing um it is refreshing to have a conversation about not just my music but about music in general um and it not be like people not accepting the mediocrity of music that we kind of live with right now um you know like i don't i don't bash other artists um or have a whole lot to say about what other people are doing because i think that you know i don't think i know that this industry is hard and you kind of got to get in where you fit in but from an artistic that's a career thing from an artistic standpoint um like a lot of what we listen to is just not only watered down is putting it lightly it's just so fucking mediocre yeah yeah and it's like as a person who creates it's some it's a little depressing sometimes because it's like well you know like you almost feel like you have to resort to it in order to sort of get to that next place um because it's it's it works for so many people um and so it's def it it it, it is really really refreshing and and i appreciate so much hearing uh that people are listening to what it is that I'm doing as it is right now because it's awesome. Um, <laughs> you know, and it, it does mean something to the to, to me and to, to the people who, who uh support it. So thank you. You're welcome. More than welcome. So what's I guess final final question and wrapping up here, what's next for your career? What do you want to do? Ultimately, um, that's such a hard question. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> it's like uh, what do you uh, want to be when you grow up? Ultimately, like, I would love, like, my ultimate goal um, is to be uh, a household name like any other pop singer mm-hmm. that, you, that you know. Like, that's ultimately the goal. I think that that is uh, a very real thing for for me just in terms of like what i do um as far as like what's next next uh would be the release of of dreamland 2 um we are wrapping up the music video for dreamland for another broken heart um it's taking a little bit longer than i thought it would but it should be out uh in a week or so um and then i'm kind of like i'm i'm being very slow with the rollout of Dreamland 2 just because I want people to receive another broken heart. Um, not just in terms of the story, but as a record, because I, I really am proud of the work that my team and I did on the on the record. And so the music video, of course, will help to push that forward as well. Um, and then toying with the idea of putting out one more song from the EP. Uh, shortly before the release of the EP. So like the song would come out one week and then the next week you would get the EP. That's what I'm thinking about. Um, but I'm definitely excited about the music video and I'm excited about the uh, second single too. I feel like we're going to have another interview very soon after you hear the second single. <laughs> you know, you can come on down, you know. So, well, if you, if, you, if you felt and received another broken heart, the second single is going to have you be like, bitch, <laughs> what? <laughs> Just in terms of the story, and I'm not trying to like 
to my own horn. Oh, you better gas yourself up. Come on and pat your face. I mean, like, it's, it's, it's the name of, I'll just go ahead and say, like, I, I feel like I can now. My manager probably won't be like, what the fuck? But <laughs> the name of the single is, uh, the second single is Tell Him. Okay. And it is right now my favorite song that I've written in a really long time. Ooh. Yeah. So another broken heart is is great, but tell him is like, I mean, lace front glue will fly off. <laughs> oh Lord! Like, every time I hear it, I'm like, man, what the fuck? So I'm really excited about it. <laughs> I'm really excited about the second single and uh, about Dreamland Two overall. So yeah, that's what's what's next. Next is just continuing to. Um, to promote Another Broken Heart, to get the video out and keep performing it everywhere that I go and then release the EP. Awesome. So uh, where can everybody find you on the social media? Where can they find Another Broken Heart? Is it streaming anywhere? Give us all of that information while we wrap up here. So Another Broken Heart is streaming everywhere. Um, there, it's not physical, so you can get it on Spotify, Apple Music, Tidal, iTunes, anywhere that music is streaming. Um, excuse me, the link for, uh, I mean, just search my name, Billy Wynn, B-I-L-L-Y-W-I-N-N. Um, if you want a more uh, direct link to the streaming services, you can follow me on Instagram at Billy Wynn Music. And the link is is in my bio to uh, take you to any of the streaming services that that you prefer, um, and on social media in general, it's Billy Wynn Music B I L L Y W I N N Music, um, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all over. Awesome, and you can find us on Twitter at Megachine Pod, I'm at Porter Pizzazz, Victor's at Wonderman 5. You can like, rate, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify. We're on Facebook and Instagram at Megachine Pod. Uh, again, Billy, thank you so much for coming to, on our show. Um, we will definitely have to do this again. Absolutely. Anything else, Victor, before we get up out of here? No, that is it. This is, as I said before, I feel fed. So, you know, everybody, I hope you enjoyed everything and have a good day. Bye, y'all.